Hello and welcome to Cinema Spectator, a show where an expert and a casual movie fan explore the cinematic canon across many different films. Today's film is called The Florida Project. I am the casual and I'm joined, of course, as always, with the expert Cameron Tuttle. What's going on, Cameron? Oh, nothing much. Uh, we are... It's it's fun. We're we're doing an afternoon recording today. We've we've been doing a lot of mornings actually recently, uh, which <laughs> maybe you can see on video. You know when our eyes are. <laughs> well, you can tell us the all... afternoon if you're if you're watching the video because I'm all sweaty. Uh, <laughs> for some reason, uh, South Bay Area gets pretty warm mm. in the in the summer. You're in lucky lucky foggy land up in in uh, San Francisco, so you're blessed. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Um, I do like the uh, the role reversal we just did there, um, but I'm not going to shill for you, so uh, you can you can still do that part. Oh. But um, I do want to just intro the the movie a, just a little bit. Um, so obviously, the Florida Project, um, kind of an interesting choice. Obviously, it was your choice this this week because um, I kind of gave you the reins for that. Yeah, do you um, want to give some uh, context about what we're doing this month and why we're doing this episode and flipping roles a little bit? Yeah, for sure. Obviously, you know, we've been doing this for a year now. So um, we are kind of taking a look back in terms of our um, just our journey and and in terms of like where you stand in, you know, in in um, where you stand in sort of learning about films and and doing this more and more. So um, I think it's an interesting experiment to kind of go back and and have you, you know, you introduce me to some some films that maybe I haven't seen, um, or even, you know, I don't know what your plan is next week, but, um, even doing something that maybe we both have seen and sort of talking about sort of maybe how your perspective has changed on that, um, you know, going forward. So, um, just, we're just kind of just doing it as, as a look back, um, on, where we've come from. And I think this was a really good choice, um, specifically because I think it's a very, um, it's in some ways it's an unusual film, but it's also one that's, um, very quintessentially sort of, uh, indie and quintessentially maybe artistic. Um, and it's one that you had seen before that sort of was, um, that I hadn't, I had, I had missed, um, but you had really connected with. So, um, yeah, it's, it's an, it's a good, I think it's a good choice to talk about for sure. Yeah, it will be fun to discuss kind of why I picked this movie with the context of the last two episodes talking about what movies resonated with me from the ones that you picked over the last year and also talking about which ones didn't. And I think if you haven't listened to those last two episodes, a lot of our conversation around this movie, or at least a portion of it, is going to be a review but also a reflection of those last two conversations. I'm excited to discuss why I chose this and how this movie has been in the back of my mind when you are showing me all these great classics and considering this one. I watched this about like towards the beginning of when we started doing this show. So I've been mm. really like surprised that you haven't seen this movie. And to me, it's like that staple. I love what you said, like quince like quintessentially indie or like artistic. Like this movie is just booming with that we're an indie like artsy movie. Um, so yeah, I, for sure. I look at, I look to this film in a, in a lot of different ways. I'm sure it's pulling from many different inspirations, but I'm excited to hear your take on it. I uh, excited to talk about how I feel about this film on a second viewing and also uh, reflecting on some of 
the movies that we've watched in this past year. Uh, this is Cinema Spectator. Uh, you know, we've already intro the show. You can support us at patreon.com slash ECFS productions. Uh, throw a couple dollars our way, get exclusive benefits, uh, all this good stuff. So you can get a question read on air, support the show as a producer, get the bonus episode each month. If you don't have a few dollars, it's all good. You can give us a rating on iTunes and tell friends and family. That is how the show grows. I'm done chilling for now. Cameron, I'm, I I really just want to jump into it. Uh, we can we can start talking about the Florida Project, unless you want to talk about other things you've been watching this week. But I've been pretty busy, so. Um. Well, I just started Fargo last night, actually. Um. So I don't have a a clear opinion of that TV show. Um. Mm. I've I've seen the you've you've seen the movie, right? Yeah, I saw um, it in this past year too. Yeah, yeah. So um, I've seen the movie too, obviously. But uh, this I hadn't. Hadn't really been on board for the for the TV show, so I just started it um, yesterday, and uh, I just I'm like one episode in, so I don't have an opinion yet. But uh, yeah, I'll I'll let you know my thoughts uh, once I get deeper into it. But um, other than that, honestly, I've been really busy too. So uh, I kind of haven't really watched anything. Oh, did I tell you? Um, it might have been last week or the week before. I watched I rewatched a movie called Memories of Murder. Mm. Um, it's a Korean film by Bong Joon Ho. Um, the guy who made Parasite. Um, I remember you mentioning it. I think. Oh yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. Fantastic movie. It's so good. Um. Yeah. I really, really love him and his work. Um. I. I think we, at some point, should do a deep dive on sort of his his films or just sort of Korean new wave movies in general. Um. Yeah. They're they're, um, really interesting to me in kind of a similar way to that this movie is actually. Um. Uh, similar, but different. <laughs> you mentioned, uh, he did Parasite. Is this the same guy that did Snowpiercer? Yes. Yes. I think I brought this up earlier when you brought this movie up, uh, maybe like a few weeks ago or a week ago or something. But like, I saw this comparison on YouTube about how, uh, Snowpiercer is like a sequel to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Did do you remember me talking about this? <laughs> it's, I think I've heard that before. It's I, crazy. I've seen the, I've seen the, uh, uh, the video thumbnail, but yes, I, I haven't yes. watched that video. You should, you should. If if you guys are interested in hearing more about Snowpiercer and comparing it to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I love that like, movie. By the it way, it was just like <laughs> watching it. It's crazy. This guy has just this wild theory about it. So look that up on YouTube. Um, now that I've sat down, just because I've I've been rushing to get here, I did watch some stuff this week. So I'll say it. Uh, I went I went to the theaters and watched Black Widow, um, which was generic as you could imagine um i I really do not have much to say about this movie i think that it is enjoyable it is so surface level um there's not really anything that is like valuable about it and it really (laughs) feels like so like it feels so stakeless is probably the best way of putting it Mm, because it's like mm. she's not gonna die you know when she dies you know like it happens (laughs) what this movie is like way behind when it should have been released is basically how it feels well technically it was i think it was supposed to be released like many years ago um i think they did the filming for this movie in like 2018 or something yeah it's a it's an it's old like you can tell for sure there's also a lot of like fast and furious moments in this movie in this movie where people (laughs) stand right next to grenades or like explode like jet engines right by their face and they're just like barely touched yeah. by the exp- it's it's very odd because none of the characters in this movie seem to have any sort of superhuman strength it's supposed to be more like 
Mission Impossible, but there's no, like, there's just no uh, concern about people experiencing fatal injury. You know, like they're they're just completely invincible. So, it, I just found it to be very drab and boring. Um, I've heard some interesting things about the new Suicide Squad um, by James Gunn, but I have not seen it yet. And I watched the first like 20 minutes of Alien in 4K. It's remastered on uh, Amazon Prime right now. You can watch the remastered version. Mm. Just an incredible movie. So atmospheric. Totally worth watching. Uh, I got to go back and finish it all the way. I actually might watch the rest of it tonight. That sounds that sounds really nice. So, uh, never, uh, you know, we got to get on with this. It's time to talk about the, the Florida Project. Cameron. Is there any context that you wanted to add to your your earlier intro? Yeah, um, just as a note, I mean, I guess the the biggest thing that we could talk about is Sean Baker as kind of a filmmaker, uh, where he, where he comes from. Um, started off in NYU, he went to Tisch, um, so uh, you know, he, obviously he he had some talent probably from the get-go. Um, although you can tell throughout his filmmaking style, um, he's never really left those. Um, uh, independent, um, small budget, um, roots, you know, so he, he made, um, a couple of features that really didn't get wide release, but were primarily in, um, in sort of the festival circuit circuit, um, South by Southwest and smaller festivals like that. Um, and then he made Tangerine, um, in, I believe 2016, um, which, uh, was kind of his first breakout movie. Um, that was the one that a lot of people started talking about. Um, it, it is still a very, very small budget movie. In fact, I would consider it to be like a shoestring budget movie or a, a micro budget. Um, and you know, famously about it is it's shot on an iPhone five. Um, so, you know, it's, it's like one of those movies that's kind of, a, in some ways, a time capsule more than, a lot of movies get to be considered, um, specifically because it's using a lot of non-actors and, um, you know, things like that. And, uh, he's carried that style throughout today. And I, you know, his newest film is, uh, did premiere at Cannes. Um, it's called Red Rocket. Um, I, it doesn't have a release date in the U S uh, right now, but, um, you know, pretty notable. It was, you know, officially selected for Cannes and, um, but, I didn't find any information about that budget, um, but I assume, I mean, just knowing his track record, it's probably pretty small. Um, you know, he's definitely still working with non-actors or non-large actors. Um, and yeah, that's kind of where he comes from. Definitely, like I said, the indie, um, small, small budget, real world actors, um, you know, set where it's set, um, you know, almost trying to blur the line of documentary and, um, and, you know, and fiction filmmaking. So, um, I think that gives us kind of the perfect introduction into what this film kind of is all about. Um, and in some ways I think it, it's completely inseparable from the, the, uh, I guess like the, meaning and the authenticity of this film is really completely inseparable from its, um, you know, placement as a small budget, um, you know, almost pseudo documentary style movie that has elements of, you know, real world, um, you know, real 
real life uh, implications. So I don't know. I think I think it's an interesting movie from that context, but that's sort of just. Um, I guess there's a couple moments in the movie that that had me looking a little bit behind the curtain. Not that it took me out necessarily, but um, had me be like, "Oh yeah, that's you could kind of tell that's like for real," you know? Yeah. Um, specifically, this isn't really a spoiler, I guess, but um, specifically the you know the sequences where she's selling perfume, right? Like I I knew like right away that that was real interactions. I don't, and it was. Um, yeah. That was that was a real. You know, they were they were really doing that, um, which is is very interesting. It is crazy. It's very crazy, actually. Yeah. This film follows sort of the underbelly of Florida outside of Disney World. And you're sort of witnessing the world through a young girl's eyes who lives at a motel, which is illegal. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's people in extreme poverty uh, renting out these motel rooms as a as a place to live uh as the motels being upkeep up kept and uh sort of you know facelifted by Willem Dafoe's character who's the property manager and uh the young girl has a mother that's pretty rough around the edges um who's definitely one of those non-actor types she she as an actress has a lot of interesting interviews and um she's been you know like like people really like her in the, in this film and she comes with an authenticity because the way she acts is, you know, related to the world that she comes from. And so I think that there's, there's something powerful about that, but you're kind of witnessing drama unfold as this motel is trying to be lifted up out of poverty to become some sort of profitable, um, establishment and, uh, sort of the conflict that comes with the, the tenants who are living there. Um, and also, you know, the respect and, and love that the tenants have for, uh, the property manager. It's like this tension and and Mm. whatnot. And Willem Dafoe is fantastic in this movie, I think. So, um, that, that kind of covers the plot. I think the main reason I wanted to bring this movie forward for discussion, and we can get into the details and the things we liked, and I'd love to hear your kind of your full take on, you know, sort of how you see this film and, and consider it and the cinematic canon, if this is one that people should watch and all that. But um, the reason this movie really stuck with me is because I think it balances a lot of the things that I love about cinema and it also does things that I shouldn't like and shows mm. me how they can be effective and powerful in, in a yeah. movie, right? This film spends a lot of time lingering and letting you be stuck in a setting for just the perfect amount of time. It uses boredom so specifically and effectively. And it it's seen through the eyes of a child, so that's what like makes it even better. Um, I don't know if you knew this, Cameron. You probably picked up on it pretty quick, but this movie has essentially no music in it at all, mm-hmm. yeah. um, which is already... Just, um, just the opening and closing credits. yeah. It's sort of like a, for me, like, why would you remove something like music from a movie, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I absolutely love scores and soundtracks and things like that, but it just, um, it is done with so much effect. Watching it the second time, I didn't even realize, like, it opens with the song Celebrate, um, which is such a happy, you know, exciting song, very, like, goofy almost for, for an opening, and then the ending having like this, you know, 
bootleg stock music Disney score um, to sort of, you know, coincide with, you know, the this world existing outside of Disney World. Um, I just think it, it grounds the movie. It gives it like this realism. And yeah, I mean, as, as our conversation was going last week, right? Like the things that disconnected me are like, you know, there's almost like an excessive amount of drama that you don't care about. Right. And this movie has so much drama for little things that don't really matter. And you're almost confused by your, why you're even witnessing some of this stuff, but for some reason it works and you're drawn into it. Right. The boredom elements are colorful. The cinematography is beautiful. So when you're bored, you're just drawn in with like eye candy. Um, and the boredom is also used as a plot device for the kids experience of like not knowing really what to do and trying to have fun amongst all this. Like, I mean, in a sense, like a level of depression, right. That's being pressed down on these people. Um, and yeah, I, I just found that like, and, and like the artsiness, right. Like I, this movie kind of has a, um, like a stigma with the way it's shot and, and the way that it, Look, it just looks like an indie art movie. I don't know. Like it, it's kind of almost obnoxious, but the presentation is just so awesome. Like I can't even like, I, I don't know why I'm drawn to it. I think there's a part of it where it's like, it's this, you know, cinephile beauty, but then it's m m like mixed with actors and actresses who are clearly not perfect, but they're also authentic and real. And it just comes through in a way that's like, you mesh like this snootiness with like this real, like, like almost like a, a door into reality. And mm -hmm. it, it's a very unique blend that I think really stuck with me. So I want to know, Cameron, like what, what do you think of this film? Cause I was so excited to show it to you. Yeah. Um, no, I think it's, I think it's a really good choice. Um, on your part. I, I really, um, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was, um, insightful in a few ways. Um, one, I love the perspective. Uh, I I think the actually that's it's probably the best thing that the movie does is um, it it really engrosses you in the perspective of um, you know being a six year old Mooney, you know, being someone who is sort of on the margins, but in a way very unaware, very um, you know, very naive, uh, and. Um, it gives you just enough context or just enough, um, you know, uh, I, you, you know, you, you mentioned there's a lot of uh, drama. I, I don't even think that that's necessarily true. Um, a lot of the drama I think is, is kind of behind the curtain, um, in a lot of ways. And I think intentionally so, because obviously, you know, as we follow Mooney, um, she's not being exposed to as much of sort of the, um, you know, what, what's really going on, uh, as, as we happen to know, uh, just from, you know, our own context or our own, you know, understanding of what's actually going on. And, and there, you know, that, that is probably what kept me most engaged throughout the movie is sort of, um, you know, you're getting, you're getting a, bit of the behind the scenes but really you know it's it's every now and then where there will be sort of this tear in the curtain where, where you can sign a, 
kind of peek through. Um, but that's just enough to for, for you to understand what's really going on and understand sort of um, how bad these people really have it and how bad, you know, things are um, in the situation. And in a lot of ways, you know, obviously I think Mooney, there's a, <laughs> there's a, a real, um, uh, they took, I would say they took a real gamble, um, in making a movie about a six-year-old who's, um, extremely, can be extremely annoying, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah. they, they took a real gamble on, um, on that. And I, I think it really worked out, uh, in, in a lot of ways, even, you know, moments where you do find her I- incredibly annoying or incredibly like irritating. Um, you always get back to the point of how sort of innocent and charming she, she is and, and how fun it is to see sort of this world through her eyes. Um, and in some ways you kind of, you obviously don't blame her, um, which I think makes her even more of a sympathetic character. Um, you don't blame her for, for what's going on, uh, because in a lot of ways, um, obviously it's, it's not her fault the way that, you know, that she's the way that she is. Um, and even then, I think <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I think there's there was a a real chance that she could have been just extremely irritating uh, throughout the whole movie, and she wasn't. Um, yeah, which which is is very good, obviously. You know, I think child actors oftentimes get a really bad rap, um, usually <laughs> like uh, for a good reason, but yeah. I think she is a really good example of a child actor who like nailed it um, because you, you know, kids like her and, and uh, I think partially because um, a lot of this movie was improvised. A lot of this movie was sort of capturing the children playing and going about their, their day uh, in an authentic way. And that's kind of what makes it understandable. You know, there's no, there's no scenes where she's having like a whiny conversation to, to her mom about like, (laughs) you know, Oh, why is our life so bad? Which like could could totally be like the thing that you would do in this movie. But um, yeah, there's nothing like that. It's uh, it's really, it feels authentic. She feels like a real person. Um, Even though almost, you know, you, in a lot of ways you feel like Bobby, um, or at least I did. Yeah. I think I, I identified with him probably the most out of anyone. Um, although in some ways, you know, he has his own faults in that I think he, he's not really, he, he's a little bit spineless in the movie. Um, in some ways, like you, you almost want him to put, to put his foot down in a lot of these situations. Yeah. Um, well, Bobby is a very complex character and I think, I, I I struggle saying this because I haven't seen Willem Dafoe in a lot of things. He is just one of my favorite actors to watch on screen. Whenever he's in something, he just kind of steals the show. Hmm. But I think that in this movie, he doesn't he doesn't like go completely crazy in in any sort of manner. He usually has a way of having that like Nicolas Cage moment <laughs> in movies. Um, and this film, you can tell he's really calculated 
in the way that he approaches scenes. And he is sympathetic because, because there are moments where like, if you've watched kids, they drive you nuts and he is like irritated by them, but also like he's experiencing what the audience is experiencing with them. Where yeah. They're like, these kids are breaking the rules, but you can't really, you, you don't know what to do with them because obviously they don't know any better. Right. And he obviously, um, cares for them Yeah. in, in, you know, he, he, I think, in his mind, you know, it's not a place to do anything necessarily, um, but he also doesn't want, uh, you know, he doesn't want them to be out on the street and he doesn't want them to, to you know, there's that there's that amazing sequence with the, the guy who's coming up and talking to them. Yeah. Um, and and, you know, that that sequence is full of just complete tension and. You don't even see, you know, see the the lead up to that. It just yeah. it just kind of happens, um, and well, it's such I, a such a brilliant performance on on his part. Yeah, I remember that scene, and I, I don't want to get too much into spoilers. But if you've seen the movie, you know what scene we're talking about. The second viewing, it wasn't as effective, I will say, um, but on the first viewing, like that moment was like again, like one of those moments where the curtain breaks for a second from the mm. childish fun view of this, you know, colorful, wacky Florida, you know, back alley, right? Suddenly you see all kind of the, the ugliness and there's constant moments of, of you see, of you seeing it with, you know, the car fight, the, the scene where they're like running over people in the parking lot, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but this, the scene in particular where the man tries to walk up to the children, that scene is like, <laughs> Oh my goodness. Like this is it's it it really grips you. I don't know what it is, but that 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 scene is just super effective and um you do see moments where Bobby's character like he he does have a line. There's like a line that yeah, is too far. Sure. That for is sure. one of the scenes uh the scene where you know the um uh, Mooney and his uh, and her mother, um, they have to move out, uh, and and he's trying to pay for their rent, even though like he really has no place to be doing that. Like he, it's almost like he can't, he can't do everything for them, but he doesn't want them on the street and he doesn't want them hurt by other people, right? Yeah. Um. So he's he's a fantastic character. Um. Let's talk about Mooney's mother for a little mm. bit. I'm kind of curious to know what you think of her because she, uh, I think she has really awesome moments and also she is not a very likable character. So I think it's a very difficult, yeah. um, role to approach because she is kind of slimy and definitely uh, yeah. irresponsible, you know? Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Well, it's funny because a lot of the, I've, I was just reading some reviews, um, some critics reviews of this movie and it's, you know, it's talking a lot about sort of how hard it is on, on the, on the margins and how hard it is on the, on the edge of, um, of life and society. Um, I think this movie is a, is a bit more critical than that though, uh, in a lot of ways. Cause I think, um, a lot of the responsibility is placed on, um, on Haley uh, as a as a character as a mother, um, and she's seen repeatedly getting herself into poorer and poorer situations, um, 
you know, it does have sympathy for her, of course. Um, it has sympathy for her in the fact that, you know, it, it, her explanation for, um, for getting, uh, getting, uh, fired from her job is, you know, she refused to have sex with one of the patrons. Um, you know, that was, that was what she, she said, um, in the, in the job, it, it, um, she was in like a recruitment center or whatever. Um, and so, you know, there is sympathy for, for her in, in that situation, but you kind of see her make really bad decisions over and over again. And, um, the consequences end up being her, her children and, you know, the other people around her. Um, and some, in some ways she does keep on getting away with bad things. Obviously the end, you know, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, chickens coming home to roost, but there's, there's definitely, you know, throughout the movie, she's kind of seen getting a pass, uh, in a lot of ways. And I, I found her character to be maybe the most, um, I don't want to say complex, but I, I think maybe the most sort of, um, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe the most complex character in the movie because she has, you can tell that, that she, she is given a lot of sympathy throughout the movie, but she's also judged very harshly. Um, and she's a character who, who has probably the worst outcome of the entire movie. Maybe Mooney as well, but, um, you know, she's given sort of the hardest treatment in the end. Uh, and it's, it's very tough to watch, even though you, you, you know, you're kind of on the side of she's a bad person and yeah. a bad parent, yeah. you know, but it's still, it's still very devastating, you know, when, when that eventuality happens, um, because there's a real, uh, there's a, there's a sense that, um, that it's almost that it's even worse because she had, a, she had the opportunity to do things better. Yeah. Um, you know, like it's almost, it's almost more of a tragedy because there was things that she could have done, um, to stop what, what happened. Uh, and, and yeah, that, I think that's, I don't know, that's kind of the, the toughest aspect of the movie to, to grapple with. And it's the one that I, I think I've been left with the most of the movie is just, there's a, there's a depth to her character that, um, was very real in, in the way that, you know, people, you know, and love, they often find themselves making mistakes, making the same mistakes over and over again. Um, and I, I think she's she's a prime example of that sort of in its maybe most extreme. But yeah, I think what surprised me about sort of the critique of most of the characters is that the the children are innocent because they're children, even though they do terrible things. It's almost like they're they have a pass, right? And with with the mother character, you know, she, I think what's hard is watching 
watching things catch up with her and then also the filmmakers having the maturity to say, yes, there is like, there needs to be some sort of call for her responsibility. And she never like seems to pick that up. But I found it so nuanced where they, they continually were like, no one wins, you know, like it's all again, right? Like you mentioned tragedy. I think that this is a a great example of a modern tragedy and I'm not even drawn to movies that are, (laughs) that are tragedies, but this one has so much life and reality put in it, like so much truth in it, I think. Um, Yeah. And right when you think it's about time for her to like shape up, right. There's still like just, I don't know. It's like, there's there's no winners like they're like oh we're trying to make you know the people that show up um ch- child services or child support or whatever uh they're like we're trying to make things better and they're not making things better at all um and so i don't know i really want to get into the conclusion of this film it's probably the one thing that people talk the most about on the internet about this movie but i don't really want to spoil it because i do think that this movie is worth watching cameron do you mm. want to slap a rating on this movie um yeah no i think I don't know if this movie is for everybody um, because it's very um, I would say it's it's tragic in a way that I don't know if a lot of people are ready for, I guess. Um, It's very it's a very uncomfortable movie in a lot of ways. Um, So, you know, I would say maybe it's it's a step above for everybody, but Mm. I would say generally I think Anybody can go into this movie and pull something out of it, obviously. You just have to kind of be ready for something that's that's upset that's genuinely upsetting. Um Yeah. Yeah, I found that the intro of this movie creates a like a juxtaposition for the entire thing, right? To start with that song like celebrate good times, right? You know? And it's so fun and everything's so colorful. And then to constantly be like exposed to the the criminal underbelly or the depression that these people are experiencing it's just like wow like i don't know it it really pulls you in weird directions and i'm not for watching movies that make you like super uncomfortable but i think this movie is done so tastefully where it's that experimental Hmm. food that is worth trying at least like once you know and it's not it's not like like for instance like i had duck once and i was like you know what I'm willing to try duck if it's at a four star restaurant and I what? know that it's going to, it's a, it's a, it's like, a, it says next to it, like chef's choice or whatever. Right. I love duck. Yeah. But like, I wasn't so sure about trying it at like a two star restaurant where it's on the bottom of the menu, you know, um, this, this feels like duck at a very high end restaurant, you know, where mm-hmm. you're like, I'm willing to give it a shot and it's going to be a unique experience that is, is worth uh, your time. I really do think this movie is worth your time, but I do agree. It is a difficult film to get through. Uh, I watched it again with Juliana and she said, I don't really want to watch this movie again. Cause it's so sad, but we watched the entire thing together and she was honestly kind of glued to it. And it's rare for her to be bought into a movie, especially a second time too. Yeah. Um, so I think that kind of speaks to it. I think before before we do get into sort of full spoiler territory, yeah. I would want to say one other thing. I think it's c- clear and obvious that this movie is um, is 
styled a lot of in a lot of ways after sort of Italian neorealism. Um, just to give you a kind of deep dive on on maybe the roots of this movie, um, it was and it's funny because we we actually talked about this a little bit uh, in our in our westerns month uh, because mm. if you remember Leone started on epics and neorealist movies uh, in Italy so um, neorealism was a style uh, directly post World War II that sort of centered around the um, uh, the changes in life in Italy um, after you know the end of Mussolini's reign um, and the big thing that it that it did was it gave sort of a it was almost pseudo documentary style um real people non actors very low budget obviously because there wasn't a lot of money in Italy after world war 2 um and it had sort of the trappings of being centered around um you know total sort of poverty total um, depravity in this, in the same way that this movie kind of is. And I think it's, it's obvious that this is a, a clear callback to that sort of style. Um, now I don't think we're going to get too deep into it onto this show because it's not necessarily my favorite style to watch. Um, I think bicycle thieves is kind of overrated, you know, sorry. To any I, don't know, fans. I don't know what you're talking about. So yeah, I know it's a big deal, but, um, <laughs> I, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, but, but I think, I think it's clear that, that Baker is probably a fan of these movies and is a fan of this genre because it's, it's, it's almost a, the American version of, um, you know, neo, neo realist film. So I just wanted to mention that because um, it's really interesting to see sort of these older concepts come back into new, smaller budget movies. Um, yeah. And and I think it's, it, you know, I don't want to say it's one of the reasons that, um, that, you know, you or I are interested in this movie necessarily, but it is one that um, I think you can see the appeal of having you know, these lower budget non-actors, um, you know, having sort of trying to make the most authentic movie, um, possible, uh, w- which is obviously, you know, it's not possible to make a, a 100% authentic movie, but, um, d- doing this in sort of the, s- the smallest localized area as possible. I think this is a really great example of that. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I just wanted to mention that. And one more thing before we get into the, the 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 spoilers of the ending and discussing possible meanings and all that, um, I cannot stress it. This is one of the most beautiful movies I've ever watched. Uh, mm. I really think that there are so many scenes in this that just have your eyes just like, wow, where are we? You know, like what is even going on, you know? And Juliana yeah. has been to Florida and she was like, Isaac, you hate it because it looks just like this, you know? And <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's kind of tacky. It's very strange, you know, but the... It does this, look like that. Yeah, so the, I've also been to Florida. <laughs> yeah, the scenes with like, you know, Orange World or like the gift shop with the massive wizard man or that, yeah. you know, the ice cream shop and the the all the scenes with the helicopter flying or those amazing... Um, like I don't know if they're like track shots or handheld gimbal shots or something that where the kids are running up the driveway to the the motel. You know, there's like that, mm. that very like pink purple building, and the kids are like it's like a, an over the shoulder. I'm like, dude, this movie is just <laughs> phenomenal looking. Yeah, um, the the shot that sticks with me that I am just it, I have never 
I just, man, it is, it's flawless to me. It's like one of the most flawless shots I've seen in movies to this day is there's a scene where Willem Dafoe walks out at like, uh, in the evening time and he like lights his cigarette and all of the hotel lights turn yeah, on around him. I love, yeah, I love that shot. That scene, I was just, I'm like, it's, it's perfection. I don't even know what's going Like it doesn't even matter what's going on, but it's just, oh, Ooh, that is, that's cinematic one one you know? Yeah. I love the scene with the rainbow, um, that they were, you know, uh, they, apparently they were supposed to do that, uh, in, in post as <laughs> supposed to be, you know, an effect, but one day they, you know, there was a rainstorm and they ran out and, and got this shot. So yeah, it's, yeah, they, there's, there's little bits of magic and th- all throughout sort of sprinkled throughout the movie. I, I totally agree. And to watch this movie after black widow too, like, <laughs> can I just say, can I just say that like to have actors and actresses in a place that is real, cannot be emu- it just cannot be emulated i'm almost i'm getting so tired of some of like those cgi backgrounds i mean like you watch the mandalorian right and it's it's beautiful looking that show is great but it's all shot in one room and there's nothing like there's almost like this effect where you know that it's not real mm. even though it looks so good you know there's just something not quite but it not it it just doesn't feel like this movie feels where you're like you're there you know yeah. I think about like what if you shot something or if you made a movie yourself in your own neighborhood or or in a place that you knew really well and the things that you would show the audience that are memorable to you just come alive so much more than like well we're like like let's say you're filming in San Francisco like well we got to film by uh, Coit Tower. You know, because that's a landmark when in reality, there's a street that you walk down in San Francisco that is way more memorable to you because you've spent time there, you know? Yeah, it's it's actually interesting you mentioned that because there's a movie um, that kind of reminds me of like a not as good version of this. Um, <laughs> it's called Last Black Man in San Francisco, um, but it's very much like that where, mm. you know, it shows like the back of 280 and like you know, and Bayview and like places where you're like, is, wait, is this shot in San Francisco? And yes, yeah. it is. You know, if yeah. you, if you know it, you know, you know where it is, but you know, it's, it's the, in the same, it, it has the same feeling of, of this movie where it's, it's obviously not trying to glamorize certain elements of things, but it, you know, it finds beauty in sort of the smallest, uh, elements. So I, I would say a good balance. If you, if you're trying to understand what we're talking about is, and this does have a little bit of a um, glorified perspective, but the opening of Nightcrawler, where they show different areas in, in Los Angeles, like those are landmarks, but there's also sections like small roads that zigzag left and right that if you've been there, you're like, oh my gosh, like I know that road, you know, like yeah, I've been, yeah, yeah. I, I know those areas. So um, yeah, that I would say that's more of a landmark based one, but it still kind of follows in the same vein. Okay, Cameron, talk to me about the ending because uh, it's, it's whack. And I really hated it the first time I saw it. I was very excited to watch it again after reading mm-hmm. some things about the ending. Yeah. Did you, well, did your opinion change? I am interested in hearing that. Um. Well, so the first time I watched it, I was just confused because I was so invested in the drama and that final scene where uh, Mooney goes to like tell her friend that she's leaving is like, I don't know. Like it is very emotional. I don't, I can't yeah. even like that, that scene 
is one of the most difficult scenes of the mo- in the movie because she's a kid. She's trying to explain something that's so messed up and she and that can't. she doesn't understand yeah fully. you know she has no concept of of what what's happening other than the implications of what's happening yeah right and so it's super sad and and uh it moves you in a way that is um i i don't know like it it's genuinely one of those scenes in a movie that like it earns any sort of emotional response. I think it's mm-hmm. just, it's hard to watch innocent kids be so upset about something that isn't a stupid toy or their ice cream falling, or it's like they're being separated from their parents. Like, geez, yeah. that's just very hard to grasp. So you're put through this like emotional blender when suddenly the first like song or the second song in the movie emerges and the camera shifts, uh, from this beautiful cinematic camera to an iphone and uh everything looks like garbage there's this really weird music and they're just running across areas that you've seen through the movie into new areas that you haven't seen and then all of a sudden they're in disney world right and the movie just ends when they're in the park and i found this to be a very artsy film person (laughs) ending and i was just confused (laughs) And I had to go look up stuff to understand it and kind of get over my s- frustration, I think, mm-hmm. with uh, with with the change. Um, but now that I kind of have learned a little bit more about the director and sort of his last project with Tangerine, which I haven't been able to watch, um, I think I tried to start it once and I just was not grabbing me the same way that this movie did. Um, it's kind of neat to have this sort of swept away like I I don't know because it doesn't really I I don't know exactly what it's trying to say but it's almost like you could interpret this ending as so many different like things like you uh, the two interpretations that stick with me are like you know ch- children have this invincibility in the hardest situations where they are like you know just so joyful that they're gonna they're gonna be able to rally together and move on or something like that and then the second interpretation is look at all this terribleness and then it's all okay because disney world is in the backyard you know like that's like this very like cynical almost like the 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 forgotten people um I, i don't know i yeah i wouldn't say that that's um what I took from it. Um, I think, I mean, I don't think that montage actually happened, um, in sort of the context of the movie. And I, I actually think the perspective shift is a key indicator of that. Um, one of the things I guess that's, um, a clue to me at least is, um, because uh, well, I do. First of all, I do agree with you. I think this this ending is sort of to be interpreted by the audience. I don't think there is necessarily a clear ending. Um, yeah. So uh, you know, I'm not going to say like I'm right or whatever. But the um, the shift in sort of as you said, it shifts to a to an iPhone um, camera, and that shift actually happens when um, Jancy you know puts her hand out. Uh, and you know, and takes her hand and sort of runs with her uh, away. Um, and 
you know, one of the things that obviously there was a production element behind why this was shot on an iPhone. It was because yeah. they shot it in Disneyland without their or Disney World without their permission, you know. So right. there was a production element to that. Um, they they obviously did not have the budget to get a film crew in Disneyland. But um, the the other element of it is I, I think obviously it's clear that it wasn't just you know, it didn't shift to, to the iPhone footage right when they get to Disneyland, which maybe you would expect if if this actually did happen in sort of the context of the movie. But I think there's a cue in that this is sort of the um, this is like the the dreamy, happy perspective of of what you know, of what a six year old might think would would be like the best outcome in this situation. You know what I mean? Like this is the right. this is the happy ending that um, that Mooney would want. Uh, in you know, she wants someone to 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 take her hand and run away to to Disneyland. Um, and obviously, that's not what's happening. And obviously, that's not what is going to happen. Um, but we see that because our perspective is with Mooney. Um, w- we see that because that's her. Um, that's her wish. She wants to just be swept away, um, and forget about this, you know, sort of sad moment. Um, and I think, I think you can see that there's a bit of, um, I don't know. There's, there's clues in, in that sequence that make me think that it's all sort of, it's, it's at the very least in in sort of Mooney's head. Um, yeah. Well, I think it's an I like what I was saying with my first interpretation. I think it kind of follows along with what you're saying, but I think you articulated it much better than I did. There's a like there's a longing or a dreaminess about um, like escaping from it all, and mm. I I think you're right when you're saying that the filmmakers trying to have you step into the imagination and the perspective of of Mooney and her and her desires I think for me I was too focused on the audience's like experience whether it's almost like we're with her on that you know it's almost what we would prefer except it does it you're right where you're saying like no this is what this is the best possible outcome that Mooney's head could think of when our heads are like, N- this is just weird, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why I was confused. Cause I was like, I like the sentiment and the joy. Right. But I don't feel satisfied at all for the realities. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's clearly trying to disconnect you from reality with the introduction of music and a different iPhone perspective yeah, and a yeah. guerrilla filmmaking all mixed into like the ending, which I think is super awesome. Like, I, I also think that like the, the ending, although I was negative on it at first, it mixes all these elements with the introduction of music, the introduction of like garbage budget equipment and like running into a park when you're not supposed to be there. Like I loved watching on my second viewing, all the faces that were looking at this guy chasing two children with an iPhone. Yeah. You know, there's a ton of people like what, what's happening here, you know? Yeah. But it's not yeah. that weird. Everybody's like, oh, they're in Disneyland. He's going to film his kids, you know, or whatever. So I just well, think... There, <laughs> I think there's like a bunch of them who were there. Because um, 
it wasn't like obviously it was a, a skeleton crew, but like they had to have both of the actresses, handlers, the director, the DP. So it's like uh, you can imagine that there's like kind of this bigger crowd all following these two kids like running. You know, <laughs> I don't know. I kind of hope that it was just like one guy, and they're like, "Okay, girls, we're outside the park. What you're gonna do is when we get in, you're gonna just run till you see the castle." You know. So I just, I don't know. I, I don't know how they did it, but it is, um, it's a very unique ending. And I, I just think, I don't know if this is a movie that I consider being like, oh, this is like a movie for everyone. Like, am I going to put this next to the good, the bad, the ugly, or, you know, um, the, uh, the great dictator or something like that? Probably not. But what this movie did do for me was like it resonated with all of its weirdness with all of its quirks and its unique filmmaking like it just was able to stick with me in a very like powerful way i think there is a the thing that 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 i i considered with this movie when analyzing the films that i did like a lot there's a there's a desire for saying something almost like truthful or real even if it is from a different perspective than your own right like one of the, one of the things i love about the apartment is like almost the hard moral standard that it places and it's mm-hmm. like i'm gonna speak a truth in your life that's gonna transcend this movie right um the great dictator's final speech is also a hard moral truth that comes from someone's perspective right um I would say the the good, the bad, the ugly has all this stylistic stuff, but there's this under underpinning layer of commentary around war and and sort of the the I don't know. There's just cons- like consideration for morality and justice, and they're like these big high end concepts that are so difficult to even discuss. They're philosophers who have studied it for years, and some of these movies, I think, what really excites me about them and where I think they just go into this section that we call the cinematic canon on this show. We obviously aren't following any sort of real bracket or anything. I know Cameron's coming from, I guess, more of a educational perspective. But for me personally, I'm like, what makes this movie come through is like, there's just so much reality and truth in it that, that it just, it just goes beyond the movie, I think. Um, and that's like what I'm in for. If you're going to make me sit through boring movies or weird movies or strange things, like if you're going to make me endure some level of filmmaking, like do it like this is kind of how I'm saying, you know, like where it's like, it's gonna, it, it's a reward for your time. You know, it, 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 it isn't a disrespect of your time. You know, I think that's really like how I feel about the more I watch some of these some of these other movies and whatnot. So what do you, what do you think, Cameron? Am I, is my perspective making sense when showing you this film or? Yeah, no. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess just about the ending, like I, I think there's something, um, I, I, I kind of agree. There's, there's this pulling towards something truthful, uh, in a way, even though, obviously the ending is, is sort of hyper stylized um in contrast to the rest of the movie which is why i, I think it's effective actually um but the 
the truthful element is that there, like you said, there are no winners in this situation. Um, yeah. Every, everybody loses. Um, and it's, it's tough to, to watch that, I guess, and not be, um, impacted or not be affected by it. And I think there's, uh, I think what you're saying is really, tr- is, is, is so accurate like there's a truth to this movie it's like picking at something um you know to to where it's it's trying to to determine um you know what is true um and i think it does a really great job and and i i agree that's sort of what makes this movie worthwhile in a lot of ways um i i understand i guess I I totally see that perspective. What I will say though is there are movies that I think um maybe I don't want to say like don't touch on something true um but there are there are examples of great movies in my mind that um deal with something that isn't quite so deep or quite so uh profound. Um, that are still just as um, impactful are still just as sort of uh, meaningful in a lot of ways. Um, so I, I wouldn't say necessarily my entire perspective is that like, you know, we have to look towards sort of the deep meaningful issues or the deep impactful stories or whatever. Um, no. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I think what I was really trying to itch at is like when a film, I, when a film like t- diverts into territory that is almost counter entertainment, I think is, is sort of, cause like <laughs> movies are like supposed to be entertaining in, in some way. Right. Yeah. When they are, when they're deferring that, right. When they're beginning to explore stuff that is either, you know, difficult to watch or it's designed or created in a way that is so like unique that it is off putting or something like that. Um, there needs to be a reason, you know? And I find that films don't need to go that far, but when they do and they have, like, the impact that this film has, it's worth it, you know? Yeah. Like, that's yeah. where I'm like, totally. it's worth it, you know? Because I enjoy, yeah. like, fun movies that I think are designed incredibly well and they're worth watching. I mean, like, I don't know why I'm thinking of, like, Hot Fuzz by Edgar Wright. That's all, like... <laughs> That's just you're there for the entertainment and it's totally worth it. You know, it's it's a yeah. great time to watch that movie. But I think as we looked at the movies that didn't resonate with me, so much of my longing with those films was like, what was the payoff? Like, why was I not connecting with this movie? It felt like it was wasting my time. It felt like it was, you know, almost out to get me as a casual viewer, <laughs> right? And I would rather like have a filmmaker who's like, sure, I'm going to push you. I'm going to make you uncomfortable, but I'm also going to make it worth your while, you know? And I'm like, yeah. that is what I want to see more of. That's why I picked this movie for us to yeah. watch. So Definitely. anything else you want to add before we wrap up Cameron? It's been about an hour. It's been fun talking about this movie. I'm, I think you're, you want me to pick a couple more movies this month, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think we just have one more, right? Is that true? I think so. Uh, maybe no, we have two more, two, two more. Yeah. Um, so we can, I mean, just pick for the next week, um, and then we'll, we'll see after that. Uh, do you have any thoughts about what you want to do next? Well, I can either take you into the c- 
complete opposite of this movie, which is just the most disgusting form of entertainment gluttony. Um, or we can try to continue this theme of like movies that I think of that kind of fit this, you know, idea that's that's prancing into the artistic, but also like somehow I think should or will connect with a casual viewer, right? Um, so I need to think about it. Maybe I'll post on Instagram what I end up picking for by the time you hear this, you'll, you'll see. Um, but I have, I have to decide. I didn't realize I was going to do another week. So what do you think, Cameron? You want disgusting, disgusting entertainment got me or, <laughs> or uh, something more profound? I'm happy with, with anything. Um, okay. Maybe for the yeah. commentary track, we'll do something, something weird. Okay. All right. I like that. Okay. All right, Cameron. It's always been a pleasure. Thanks for being the co-host. Uh, for this one. And yeah, thanks me, for taking the reins. Yeah, of course. All right. Thank you guys for supporting the show. Um, we will see you next week. Cinema Spectator is an ECFS Productions podcast that is fully funded on Patreon.com. Shout out to our producers, Darren O'Neill and Tim Smith for supporting the show and to the rest of you that support us at patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. If you want to learn more about the benefits you can get, check out our Patreon. The show cannot happen without you great listeners, so we thank you for all your kindness and support. Music.